Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Well, hey, Lake Point family, many of you will remember just a few weeks ago back in December, one of my personal childhood heroes came and preached for us, Pastor Dave Stone. And I'll be really honest, every single time this guy preaches at Lake Point, there is an unusual anointing and outpouring of response to his preaching. And so we are incredibly honored to have somebody that is starting to feel a little bit like an extended family member of Lake Point bringing us the word to kick off the new year. And so Lake Point family, would you please help me give a fresh New Year's welcome to Lake Point extended family member, Pastor Dave Stone. <laughs> well, thank you. And I do feel like family. I, I think I'm your cousin, Eddie from Kentucky. Uh, maybe that's how you see me. Welcome back to Lake Point. It's, it's good for us to have the, the church together. Uh, some of you have not set foot in the church building since last year. Uh, I'm kidding, of course, because last week we worshiped online. If you missed that message, Josh and Jana shared from their hearts. Jana shared part of her testimony. It was, it was powerful. If you didn't get to watch it, go back and see that. Uh, and if you don't already have January 25th, or the 26th on your schedule, please make it a priority, a night of worship and prayer. Uh, this is so important of a time. We paused all the midweek uh, programming so that on that particular week, we can gather together as a church. I guess last year, I spoke a few weeks before the very first uh, night of worship and prayer. And then I came back about a month later, and it was just four days after you'd had that first one. And I had countless people say the exact same thing to me. They said, you're preaching to a different church than you did last month. Because some, something happened in, in that evening. And we want to start this year off with just that concert of prayer and of worship and inviting God to, to be a part of our lives and our year. And we want prayer to be our default mechanism. Uh, we want to win the war in the spiritual before we wage it in the physical. And we do that through prayer. And so I really want to encourage you to be a part of that. Also, I want you to know that next week we begin a brand new series. It's called First Things First. And we're going to look at the keystone areas of our spiritual lives. We'll look at, at a lot of different things. Uh, we're going to look at our hearts. We're going to look at battles that we face, relationships, schedules, finances. And uh, it's going to be a great series just to kind of kick things off as far as our priorities. Now, in light of all of that, I had some freedom on what I could choose to speak on today. And I've entitled this message, God, Where Are You? And I chose this topic and passage because there will come a time in 2023. It may be in April. It might be in November. It might be next month. It might be next week. But there will come a time when, when you will want to ask where are you, God? It may be over something very trivial, and it's one of those days when just a, a lot of little things go wrong, and you kind of half-jokingly look up and say, really? I mean, really? Are you kidding me? It may be over some big things, and we're in that holding pattern where it seems like God is silent, 
almost absent. And all of us have experienced frustrating times where we have been forced to wait. And those times when we have more questions than we have answers. Several years ago, a a friend of mine told me about getting stuck at the Fort Myers Airport there in Florida. There were thunderstorms, there was lightning, there were flight cancellations, everyone was delayed. Passengers were angry and frustrated. And some of you know exactly what that feels like, right? But a very efficient Delta ticket agent was steadily working through the long line when an obnoxious man walked right past everyone and came up and just stood right next to her and just kind of glared at her. And finally, she looked over at him and said, I need you to change my ticket and my flights right now. And she said, well, sir, I'm already with a customer, and if you'll just go and get back in line, I'm working through the line as quickly as I possibly can, and I'll be with you soon. And the guy said, do you know who I am? And then he said it in a voice loud enough for the entire concourse to hear. He said, do you know who I am? And the woman didn't bat an eye. She grabbed an intercom and she said, ladies and gentlemen, evidently we have someone here who does not know who he is. (laughs) If you have misplaced an adult with identity issues, you can reclaim him here at the counter. And the man stormed off and everybody broke into applause, right? We love it when someone gets what they got coming to them. But what about those times when things aren't resolved? What about those times when you feel that someone could intervene on your behalf to show up, stand up, or speak up, but they don't? What about those moments? Instead, they're seemingly absent or silent. And now, it's one thing when it's a friend, it's one thing when it's a coworker, but what about those times when you feel like God doesn't show up? Those moments when he doesn't meet your desperate needs and you feel like your prayers are falling on deaf ears. Let me say it another way. What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should do? How do you respond in those moments when there seems to be no answer and it seems so senseless and you're thinking, God, where are you? Lord, why, why, why did you allow a pandemic to totally disrupt our lives? Lord, why, why don't you intervene with all of the political polarization that's taking place and all the racial unrest? And something wells up within us and we want to say, God, where are you? So what's your response when God seems indifferent to your plight or uncooperative to your requests? And if we're being totally honest, we'd all have to admit that there have been a time or two in our lives when we feel like the person that's in charge of the universe is asleep at the wheel. Now, we would never say that out loud. But in our heart of hearts, there have been moments when we thought that, and we want to just glance heavenward and say, where were you when I needed you? Let me tell you about a family in the Bible who had to wrestle with this. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 11 on your mobile device or in your physical Bible that you have. It's a story that you you may have heard before. It's John 11. It's a story of three very close friends of Jesus. In fact, they were siblings. Jesus was a frequent guest at their home. Their names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus is gravely ill, and he lives in Bethany. And Jesus and his disciples are nowhere near Bethany. And in John chapter 11, verse 3, it says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus Lord, the one you love is sick. 
So Jesus gets this frantic text message from Lazarus' sisters asking him to return to help their brother who is very sick. They're calling in a favor since they're so close with Jesus. In other words, he's always helping out total strangers. Certain he'll come back to help out someone he's that close to. Lord, we need you to intervene. Of course he will. He's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. Look at verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there are two very unique statements made here, one by Jesus and one by John, the gospel writer. And Jesus chooses his words very carefully, and he says, this sickness won't end in death. Trust me on this. And then John, for no apparent reason, randomly interrupts the story to interject something that doesn't seem like it even fits in. He just randomly says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, this is typical of John's writings where he will just throw something in and he puts it there for, for our benefit. We might not know why at the time, but he, he throws it in. So the sisters request, no, they, they beg for Jesus to come. Now, when Jesus gets the message, you'd think that he would immediately grab his backpack and say to his disciples, hey, we need to trek all the way back to Judea. We better hurry. My bro needs me. But that's not what happens. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So he gets this urgent request to help, and Jesus, our loving Savior, stays for two more days. And then he says, hey, let's start the journey back. I mean, what what is going on here? Well, let's divide this message into four different parts. And here's part one. From everyone's perspective, there's waiting. And so when Jesus and the disciples finally start walking, the sisters are back waiting far, far away in Bethany. They're waiting for Jesus to return to heal their brother Lazarus, but he doesn't come, and so they wait. And one day becomes two, and two days becomes three. And by the time Jesus finally makes it back, Lazarus has been dead for four days. How are you with a God who makes you wait, who seems to be late at times? I mean, you, you wanted to buy that house, But the market just started skyrocketing a a year ago and and you kept waiting for it to stop and, and now you can't afford to and so now you wait. Maybe you and your spouse really want to have a child and you keep trying and trying. It seems your other friends, they they can just look at their wife and she gets pregnant. (laughs) But not you all. Oh, you love God, but he he sure seems to be taking his time. And so you wait. An extended waiting can lead to discouragement. And we spend much of our lives waiting, but for all the practice we've had, most of us aren't very good at it. And we certainly would never choose it. I mean, no one walks into a grocery store, gets all their stuff, and then comes up to the front and sizes up the cashiers and says, hmm, that worker looks slow and inept. I think I'll choose them. No one does that. You don't celebrate when the person in front of you decides to write a check like it's 1985. 
Why is that? Well, it's because we don't like to wait. Because in our minds, wait means late, and late is never a good thing. And so we ask for God to intervene. Today, Lord, if you don't mind, heal my aging parents, fix my marriage, transfer my boss. Sorry, these are just, (laughs) these are purely hypothetical, all right? Because we want what we want, and we want it now. But may I remind you of the words of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, where it says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. You see, God may be up to something. My pastor friend, Ashley Wooldridge, says, a waiting season is never a wasted season because oftentimes God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. And so there are times like, Here in John 11, where everybody's just going to have to wait. And so we we try to wait patiently. But after that stage, sometimes it gets more confusing because at first everyone's waiting. But the next section of the story is that from the disciples' perspective, they're wondering. We have times when we wonder why things happen the way that they do. A good example was earlier this week. I'm watching Monday Night Football. Jamar Hamlin, a a player's name that most of us were not familiar with at all, tackles a man, goes into cardiac arrest. All of this unfolds in front of 60,000 fans and a, a nation that's watching it. People begin to pray. I can't imagine what it was like for for 60,000 fans just to to walk out of there in silence. I can't imagine what it was like for the players, for his teammates. I can't imagine what it was like for his family. I, I just, I try to put myself there. You talk about a season of wondering and saying, why, why is this happening? He's, he's tackled people thousands of times. He's 24 years old. He's in peak physical condition. And yet we wonder. Jesus explains to his disciples that Lazarus is sleeping, but they don't understand his veiled reference to the fact that he had died. And they're wondering and they're confused why Jesus stayed and didn't go to help. Look at verse 14. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Jesus is setting up what will happen a few days later. Look at the next verse. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Well, where in the world did that come from, right? What a foolish thing to say. Your friend gets sick and dies, and so you say, hey, let's all go and let's die with him. And as soon as Thomas says it, he's probably thinking, oh gosh, why did I say that? And then he looks over and he sees John with a pen and he's scribbling it down, writing it down, saying this deserves a much larger audience, right? Have you ever said something that as soon as you said it, you regretted it and you wanted to, you wanted to get it back? I remember my 10-year my high school reunion. That was my Thomas moment. And high school reunions are always a little bit different. And my wife went with me to the 10-year reunion, but she didn't go to my high school, so she didn't, she didn't know anybody there. So it's kind of awkward for her. 
So we're trying to make small talk with people all night long, people that you don't even recognize. You know, and, and who are you? <laughs> I was your best friend. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't recognize you. Great. Uh, so you go through all these things. Well, we were talking to a, a nominal friend of mine. His name was Frank. And Frank's wife was there, and Frank's wife didn't know anyone. And so we tried to engage with her and talk with the two of them for a little bit. And then there was a lull in the conversation. And I am an extremely extroverted person. So when there's a lull in the conversation, I feel like it's my job to somehow save the day and, and to fill that silence with something. And so in my effort to involve Frank's wife in the conversation, I looked at her and I said, I, I see you're expecting, when is your baby due? Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> I said, I see you're expecting, when, when's your baby due? And she looked back at me and she said, I, I'm not pregnant. And I said, are you sure? Uh, <laughs> no. No, I did not say that. <laughs> I thought it. Uh, I didn't say, I couldn't say anything. We finished the conversation up rather quickly, walked away. My wife was so irritated and mad at me the whole rest of the night. And uh, I'll never forget because you make that mistake one time in your life, you will never do it again. You could be pregnant with triplets and two weeks past your due date. I'm not going to bite. <clears throat> there is no way. You know, hey, how about that weather? You know, I mean, I'm not going there, right? We've all said something that we regret, regretted like I did and like Thomas did when he said, let us go and, and, and die with Lazarus. Now, in his defense, some commentators think that Thomas may have been voicing his willingness that death was a possibility if you were a Christ follower and if you returned to Judea. We don't know for sure, but we do know that it was one of those phrases that was a little bit different. And we've all said things that were taken maybe perhaps in the wrong way, just as when Jesus said when Lazarus is asleep, he was just setting the stage, right? He wants to make it very clear. I waited so that you would believe that I'm the Messiah. And at this point in the story, we have no idea where this story is going. Everyone is wondering, but please realize God is still on his throne Here's the third part. From the sister's perspective, they're wounded. We find that Christ's waiting wounded Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And his failure to drop what he was doing and return immediately was too painful for them to swallow. So when Jesus arrived at Bethany, Martha came out to him to meet him and she said something to Jesus. And later, when, when Mary comes out to meet Jesus, she says something to Jesus. Get this, apart from each other, both sisters said exactly the same line to Jesus. Verse 21 and 32, it says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, when you're sitting in a home Bible study in a living room, and you're reading that passage, we usually read it in a real sweet voice. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Mary and Martha did not work for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and I think that when they said it, I think that there was a bite to it. There was frustration, there was anger, there was pain. 
There was an acknowledgement of being let down. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what they said outwardly. But inwardly, their hearts were screaming, where were you? Why didn't you come when we asked you to come? They waited. They were wondering for all these days. Now there's a wound because now it's too late. And the psalmist verbalizes how we feel at times when the psalmist writes in Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? I mean, how, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? We skip over to Psalm 119, verse 84. David just cries out to God, how long must your servant wait? But even while you're waiting and wondering and wounded, you remain faithful. You keep your focus on Christ. You trust his timetable, not yours. You see, we all go through lengthy, challenging seasons. Maybe it's emotionally, perhaps it's spiritually, maybe it's relationally, sometimes it's physically. A few years ago, I, I had a, a biking accident and I, I broke a couple of ribs. Uh, think Huffy, not Harley, all right? Uh, how many of you all have ever broken a rib? It, all of our campuses, just raise your hand if you have ever broken a rib. If you can put your hand up, yes, yes, I understand. Uh, it only hurts when you sneeze, cough, laugh, sleep, or breathe, all right? And the toughest part is that you, you really can't sleep because your body moves in your sleep. And so when you finally do fall asleep, you wake yourself up and it's just the pain is excruciating. So after two days of not having any sleep, I, I called up my doctor and he's a friend of mine. I said, hey, I said, man, I, said, I, I need some help here. I said, I, I, I can't get any sleep. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, are you sleeping uh, lying down? And I said, well, yeah, that's how I was taught. Yeah. <laughs> he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, you can't. He said, you got two broken ribs. He said, you can't do that. He said, for the first week or so, you have to sleep sitting upright in a chair. And I said, that, that's impossible. Nobody can sleep sitting upright in a chair. But the next Sunday, I was in the middle of my sermon, and I, I looked out at my congregation in the middle of it, and... It's possible. <clears throat> and some of my flock have mastered the arts, all right? But just like the psalmist, for weeks I was saying, how long, Lord, how long is it going to take? And you have probably had some how long seasons in your life where you felt sidelines as well. How long until I get that promotion? How long until the marriage gives life rather than taking life? How long until my 401k starts climbing rather than tanking? How long until my teens stop rebelling? How long until I get to pick out a wedding dress? And your faith gives way to frustration and you say, how long? Did you know that the phrase how long appears in the book of Psalms 20 different times? David is just being raw and honest during a difficult and lengthy season of his life. So whether it's the future king of Israel or whether it's two sisters who were close to Jesus, whether it's a church named Lake Point or whether it's you trying to determine your next step in following God's will, here is what I know. The delay of the divine 
can be frustrating to his followers. But the more we realize the character of our timeless, eternal God, the better understanding we will have when we are waiting, wondering, and wounded. Because God so loved the world, but more specifically, God so loved you. And it's a personal and it's an intimate love for you. You were created in his image. He knows your every thought. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Back a couple years ago, I was speaking for a fundraising weekend for a ministry organization. It was being held at a really nice hotel in Pennsylvania. And it was on the first day of it, on Thursday. It went through Sunday. And my wife and I, we were eating in a restaurant there at the hotel. And after we finished eating, we got up to leave. I got talking to a server. My wife headed out. She got talking to a different waitress that was at the front. When I came walking out, Beth said to me, Oh, Dave, you've got to meet Leah. And I said, Leah, why do I need to meet you? And she said, because I'm from Kenya. And I just melted when she said that. I I love the Kenyan people. I've been on mission trips there four or five times, and I've just fallen in love with those people. And I was so excited to get to talk to her. And I said, you know, it's funny. I said, uh, my daughter and I went on a mission trip there just a, a couple of years ago, and we met a waitress there in Kenya. I said, maybe you know her. That's about as stupid of a statement as you can make, right? Maybe you know her. In my mind, my Kentucky brain, I just equated, you know, waitress, waitress. Oh, you know, it's probably a coalition of world waitresses, you know, <laughs> that talk every night. And as soon as I said it, I was so frustrated with myself. Maybe you know her because one of my pet peeves is I speak at a lot of different churches in a lot of different states. And after the service is over, people will come up to me and they'll say, hey, you said that you're from Kentucky. Maybe you know my nephew. I'm like, well, there's four and a half million people in Kentucky, but yeah, what's your nephew's name? Bubba. Well, we got about a million Bubbas, okay? So I, I just felt terrible that I had said it. You know, maybe, maybe you know her, but I was, I was in too deep at this particular time. And so what I did was I decided just to continue to carry this out to completion. So I quickly found a picture on Instagram of the waitress that my daughter and I had met. And I, I showed it to Leah, the picture. And when she looked at it, she exclaimed, Yvonne. And I said, well, well, well what did you say? She said, Yvonne. Well, I thought maybe she had seen it somewhere in in the comments that were made there. So I immediately had my wife take a picture of the two of us, and I sent it to Yvonne. Here's the picture. I'm I'm on the left. (laughs) I sent the picture immediately over on WhatsApp to Yvonne. Within a minute, I got a response. You know what she said? Leah. She said, we worked at the Radisson together. She said, we lived in the same neighborhood. I was speechless. On our way back to our hotel room, I asked my phone, what's the current population of Kenya? And Siri answered, 47,564,294. Our God is both a powerful God and a personal God.
The next day we had dessert with Leah. And then we invited her to a worship service that I was preaching at that Sunday morning. And she, she came and she worshiped. I'll never forget it. I was seated up near the front of the room and just looking in the back and watching my wife and Leah worship together. And Leah was worshiping like there was no tomorrow. And afterwards, she shared with Beth, she said, I, I can't believe this is happening. She said, I've lived in America for two months. She said, I don't have any friends. I don't have a car, so I can't go to church anywhere. I miss my family so much. God knew how lonely I was, and so he sent you all to me. And Beth told her, God sees you. God hears you. He knows what you need. That's how God works in our lives. That's how he personally shows his love. Well, back here in John chapter 11, remember we learned that separately both Mary and Martha each say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Martha says it, Jesus responds by affirming to her that he's the resurrection and the life. But when Mary says the exact same statement, Jesus becomes emotional and Jesus responds by crying with her. So both sisters say the exact same sentence, but Jesus responds differently to each one. Why? Because Jesus knows what you need. Martha needed a lesson. Mary needed love. And I find incredible comfort in knowing that Jesus knows what you need and what I need, regardless of the circumstances. God will meet you in your waiting room with what you need to process the pain. And after Jesus wept with Mary, he says, take me to where his grave is. And they all head to the cemetery and all the townspeople follow them. But then Jesus says something unexpected. He says, take away the stone. And everybody says, well, <laughs> now Jesus, I know you didn't get to pay your last respects and you weren't here, but uh, he's been dead for four days, all right? Now, you might not get what's going on here, but put yourself in first century, okay? And let me read it to you from the King James Version. John eleven thirty nine. 39, Martha says, Lord, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> now, it may sound crass, but that was the setting then. How strange for Jesus to suggest something so politically incorrect and so aromatically inaccurate. But Jesus knows what he's doing, and he's about to give them a very strong illustration, a more pungent one, if you will. And he has waited four days to prove that Lazarus is dead. And when they roll away the stone, had there been any doubters, the odor would have quickly convinced them. Now, if you grew up in the church, you probably know what happens next. The bronze Galilean cups his hands around his mouth and he says, Lazarus, come out. And in a matter of seconds, Lazarus stumbles out of the grave with his grave clothes and shuffles his way up to Jesus can you begin to imagine that? See, Jesus says Lazarus come out because if he had not specified Lazarus, everyone in the cemetery would have come back to life. Because when the Lord of life gives a command, everyone obeys. 
Their jaws are on the ground. They can't believe what they've just witnessed. So look at the stages we've seen. From everyone's perspective, there's waiting. From the disciples' perspective, they're wondering. From the sisters' perspective, they're wounded. But from God's perspective, he's working. Remember that song? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And what appears to be apathy is the unfolding of God's plan. At the heart of why Jesus waited is that he wants people to realize that he is the Messiah. That's at the heart of why he stayed put for two more days. Lateness on closer investigation is actually love. And the Apostle Paul explains this concept in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But I want you to notice something. Remember what we... We, we talked about earlier, back in verse 5, when John chooses to insert that random statement in the midst of the dialogue. Verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why would John put that in there? Well, because the verse before it, the sisters say, Jesus, you need to come. The verse that will be after it will say, Jesus didn't come. And so sandwiched in between, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, is Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John wrote that in there for you. So when you are wounded and you're waiting and you're wondering, God, where are you? He wants us to view it against the backdrop of his love because the same person who is involved in writing this story, is also writing your story. And so trust his timing and his plan. How reassuring that, that Jesus is there for us. The most dramatic line in all of John 11 is Lazarus come out. But the most significant line in the chapter is the way Jesus answered Martha when she said to him, if you would have been here, he would not have died. And Jesus' loving and confident response was, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Lazarus come out has implications for one person. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. Has implications for millions. And if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, someday when you take your last breath, it will have implications for you. So in those times when your heart is saying, God, where are you? Please don't forget the backdrop of his love. And today I'm inviting you to trust a God whose unconventional methods unfold according to his timetable and not yours. Because this life isn't some Disney movie where in the last 10 minutes everything just kind of comes together and everything is resolved. There's no conflict and we all live happily ever after. No, this is real life. And when people die, they're still dead four days later. And so what you need to decide right here and right now is whether or not you believe that God is God whether you're willing to give him control of your life, whether you can trust him with your story. You see, he wants to write an incredible story with your life. You just have to be willing to give him the pen. 
and to trust that he loves you and that he's there for you. God loves you just as much as he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God loved you so much that he allowed his one and only son to become a perfect sacrifice, to die on our behalf, to pay for all the crud that we would ever do. So here's what I want to do for us to close. I, I just want you to read this paraphrase of John chapter 11, verse 5. And we're going we're gonna to read it out loud, and we're going to read it with some passion. But when you come to that blank, I just want you to insert your first name in that blank. Okay? Here we go. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus and say it again louder. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Do you believe that? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who split the sea with a rod, the one who killed the giant with a pebble, Forgive us when we question your timing. We, we thank you that, that you're never late and that you're never early. You're always right on time. And Lord, we, you show up in so many unusual ways. We, we saw you show up this week in what we thought was just a really terrible situation. And yet somehow you work good out of it. And the miracle may not have been a physical healing, but it might the miracle might have been an ESPN announcer offering an impromptu prayer, just saying, I just feel led to pray right now. There's power in prayer. Maybe the miracle was an NFL coach saying, we thank everyone, we thank the doctors, we thank everyone. But I wanna thank God and I wanna give him the glory for his healing powers. Lord, we've seen you show up in unusual ways this week. We invite you to show up in our lives in unusual ways. And we come to you and we humbly say with King David, we pledge our trust to you, even when it doesn't make sense. And we pray all this in the powerful name of the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.